Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Changing the world. This is your host, Akua Walker, nurse practitioner in child development and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer. Excited to bring you another episode of Moms Changing the World. I'm very excited about this conversation that we'll have today with a dear friend of mine. And as we move towards that, I like to start our episodes with uh, an African proverb to kind of give some context and a piece of reflection to what some of what we'll be talking about today. So the one I found is a Lamba proverb of the Zambia people that says, a child one does not instruct on return, one instructs him when going. And to me, I'll do that again, a child one does not instruct on return, one instructs him when going. Makes me think about how we hopefully have the chance to impact kids as they come to us and as they go away from us. We have our own children or the children that we work with or in the community uh, only for a season most of the time. And so each opportunity that we have with each child is the chance to instruct and nurture and love on um, as they're coming to us And if we've missed something, we do have an opportunity, hopefully, to also instruct, you know, as they go, as they, you know, leave the nest to do their thing. And we also should bear in mind, though, that if we don't instruct or if we don't pass on um, what we can to our children, you know, someone will instruct them as they go. And that someone, you know, may not be us or may not be somebody that, that we choose. And so we want to also be mindful that our children are sponges. They're constantly learning, constantly watching, constantly absorbing what's going on around them. And so we want to, as best as we can, giving ourselves grace, of course, as moms and parents and teachers, we want to do our best to, through love, you know, instruct them with what we know and wish for them to know and do and be as they, they go. So that being said, I um, am so excited to have a very good friend of mine, Mari Gray, join us on the episode today for a conversation. And Mari is one of my friends, somebody I know very well since before I was a mom even. We met during our college days at Stanford University, and I considered her a real sister friend. 
in those years and we've grown in that relationship since then. And she was also one of the first kind of close friends of mine to become a mother. So I felt like I had a, a, the privilege of a front row seat in learning some of what a new mom might go through or what becoming a mom was about by getting to be a friend and hopefully a help <laughs> for her in those days. So professionally, she uh, continued her training. Uh, she started the training in education at Stanford through the STEP program. And then she moved on to UC Davis in Sacramento for her graduate work. And she has been doing work in education since then, especially around some of the racial and equity uh, areas that are very urgent and in the news today. She continues on to be now a professor uh, at Cal State East Bay, educating the next generation of educators and administrators in the important issues around educating the next generation of children. So I see her as a mom changing the world through her own children. She now has four boys, a range of ages, and I'll let her tell you more about them. But she's also helping to pave the way for education and educating the next generation of young people who are making up our future. So Maury, I'm so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. I am glad that we could make this time in the busyness and the craziness of all that's going on. Very much appreciate that. Well, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you, know, you see that you impact children both in your home and outside of your home? Okay. Um, well, you know, I have four boys. They're ages six through 20. And I'm a Christian mom, married mama with four boys. And I'm a fourth generation college Californian. So my family's lived here for I don't know, almost a hundred years. Yeah, they've lived in California for a hundred years, which is crazy, right? That is. Um, and we don't often uh, in California, especially the Bay Area where we live now, we don't often see that. No, like, no. Going. Yeah, that was exciting for me to learn. But I actually realized in conversations with my grandma, and this kind of ties into my work, that I was not the first in my family to end up wanting to become a doctor or or to have a doctorate degree. My great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, came to California from Missouri wanting to become a medical doctor. And so this is like, he, he was in school for two years, and that was just around the time of the Great Depression. So I don't think he could have his young family and, and you know, Go to, go to college. It was just too expensive, probably not feasible. And so now I'm a college professor. And, and when I got my PhD, I was, I really felt like I was living like our family dream. I was realizing a dream that had been festering for many generations. And so, you know, that t-shirt that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I really feel like that's a t-shirt I should be wearing all the time. So, yes, I'm a, a faculty member at CSU East Bay in the Department of Educational Leadership. And in that department, I, we prepare the next generation of principals, assistant principals, and our credentialing program. But then we have an EDD program where we're preparing educational leaders broadly. And, you know, our, our students could be superintendents, 
who want to get their EDD, just a wide variety of folks. And then my focus in that program, in addition to preparing the states or the region's educational leaders, I have research that focuses on disproportionate discipline, which is, you know, a big hot topic now since it's been for a little while since the Obama administration. But more recently, another aspect of disproportionate discipline that I had been writing about was school-based policing. Well, the whole nation's really talking about policing. Absolutely. Um, The abolition or reform at the minimum of policing, but abolition for a lot of folks, that's become a hot topic. And I've been writing about this for a while. But I wrote an op-ed, I'll see if it it gets picked up, about uh, school-based policing. And really, it's titled, Why why We Must End School-Based Policing. Um, So you can see I have a very clear uh, constant (laughs) to school-based policing, which we all know kind of disproportionately. Well, we know that students of color, um, students who are LGBTQ, students who are poor, Um, So our most vulnerable students, students with special needs, are most often disproportionately policed. And that can include anything from coming into contact with, surveilled, um, asked to report back, um, report to the police about some things. They're called in as witnesses, um, but also often criminalized, cited, arrested, transported to juvenile justice centers. So it's really a problem on school-based campus, on school campuses in California. Absolutely. And I think it's coming to light, given Mm -hmm. that we are recording this in the summer of 2020, which is a season where we have, you know, really two health pandemics going on or two health crises going on um, as far as the, you know, COVID-19 crisis, but also how it disproportionately and, you know, affects African-Americans, Black and brown people, you know, since the George Floyd incident uh, was recorded. And so I think we're looking at how it certainly impacts the health and life of Black and brown people, but it all, we also, it's also sparked quite the pandemic of consciousness in some ways that uh, people are, are awakening if they haven't already been awoken to the the plight of, of, of racism and how it affects all of us and how we all have to be advocates fighting for it to end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, so we'll definitely, you know, get to more and more of that conversation. But uh, as moms, we're always trying to feed our children. So I like to start things off mm-hmm. really practical uh, with, you know, tips for go-to meals, you know, and this, some of us have been really having to cook more because we're home more or we're not eating out as much for the social distancing reasons. So I'm curious, you know, what are some of your quick go-to meals? I don't know about quick, but I've been doing a lot of cooking. <laughs> so yes. you know, and I can vouch for it. I see it on Facebook <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. If you, if you know a thing about me, you know that um, I'm very at home in the kitchen and it's also my resting place, the place where I go to kind of, it's like I have a creative side and that's where I, that's where I can be creative. So when I'm cooking a lot, a lot of rice balls with fresh veggies and meat. So I, I'm not sure if I say this correctly, but I think it's babimbap. It's when we were in Hawaii about a year ago, I turned my husband onto that dish and I, 
have been cooking it myself. And then I just started making just rice balls. So at first it was like a pokey rice ball. And then it was like ground lamb with kind of curries. And then it became whatever kind of meat I had. I A lot of curries, like Indian curries, Thai curries. And then, oh God, what, what else do we cook? Just, I'm a big breakfast maker. So lately I've been making donuts and biscuits. Wow. I learned how to make that. Yeah, that was, that's been yummy. Not too often, but we made homemade donuts last weekend. The kids really enjoyed that. And then we made biscuits a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And that was fun. And then smoothies. If you, that's, that's like, if you're going to say, what's our go, go to smoothies. Yes. Pop some apple juice, some frozen fruit, fresh fruit. We had smoothies after our hike today. So that was, that was yummy. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love how you can get the kids in on it, especially with the mm-hmm. smoothies, but I imagine even with some of the other dishes. I love how yours are so exotic. It's not that hard. You know what I learned? There's a New York Times article. I think if you subscribe to New York Times Cooking, there's a whole thing about how to stock your pantry and there are levels. Like here's the like basic pantry and then there's like the intermediate and there's like advanced. They have different names for it. So I did the intermediate and some of the advanced because I had a lot of the other stuff. And mm-hmm. I just open up a cookbook or the, the website and I'll just like try one new thing a week. That's great. I love that. It's kind of a, an inspiration or it could be a challenge to just try one new thing. Mm-hmm. We, we often get stuck in our ruts. And mm-hmm. so it's nice to have something that pushes us out of it. And from the Facebook post you put on, it sounds like the kids actually will, will try and enjoy a lot of the great flavors you're you're presenting to them for the most part i did have a rebellion tonight one who said he did not (laughs) want to eat something because it had onions in it and so then he took out his cookbook he wanted to cook his own stuff okay but that that was a whole other conversation he's nine and so we said okay well and he's a pretty good cook he cooks with me a lot i said well then you can start cooking on saturdays and that helps me out it does win-win Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Good. Good. So then as far as your mothering journey, did you always want to be a mom? I don't think I always thought about it really. As a Mm -hmm. kid, I played with dolls Mm -hmm. and I played more school than mom. When I look back, I I wasn't playing like, this is my baby. I was like, I'm the teacher. You're the student. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, So maybe that's a mom. But I figured it would happen. I remember when I was in my 20s, I figured, oh, I'll have kids at some point. And I thought I would have them around 33 after I finished grad school and got my PhD. But that didn't, it didn't happen like that. I actually got pregnant when I was 27. I was single. And I got pregnant while I was going to church. And I ended up having a baby on my own. And one of the things when, you real, when you're 27, you're pregnant and you're already single. I mean, you're already living your life. And, you know, I was a professional. I was a teacher. I had my, some advanced degrees then was I realized I wanted a baby. I wanted this baby. That's when I realized I did want to become a mom. Like there had been this thing that I had been just holding back because I was trying to get through some things. So having Kyle, that's my firstborn. I realized, yeah, I want to be a mom. That's great. That's great. And I remember, you know, how exciting that was. Um, to just kind of witness, you know, this, the, the growth, the pregnancy, and then this new being, this new person who wasn't there before, you know, <laughs> just kind of take over your life and our lives in some ways as friends. And 
supporters. You are a good friend to me. And as a new mom, a single mom, you have always been a good friend to me. And I appreciate that, that season that we had in our lives together. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember I would, you know, come and babysit or or just give you a little break Mm -hmm. once in a while. And Mm -hmm. those were, you know, some of some of my fondest memories in those years is like, like, oh my goodness, you know, such a precious life. And we get to, you know, help help nurture that from a very young age. I still have I think it's a piece of paper from his baby book where you named him Kyle Kwaku, right. boy born on Wednesday. That has stayed with me. <laughs> that was like really precious. Yeah, yeah. I remember. You know, wanted to give him his African name. Being from Ghana myself, we have day names. Akua is mm-hmm. girl born on Wednesday, and mm-hmm. I was super double excited that he was a Wednesday boy baby. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember that too. That was special. So everybody would know that. Everybody who hears your name from Ghana knows you were born on Wednesday. Exactly. Oh exactly. my! I'm gonna have to remind Kyle. I have to tell him. Okay. Right. Thank you for that. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, tell me, you know, how you feel, you know, you're raising your your boys in your home, you know, especially given all that's going on in the world right now. You know, how are you talking to them about race and empathy? Yeah, I think the thing is, I was always talking to them about race. We were never not talking about it. I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing about being a Black person in America, especially if you're raising Black boys. I grew up with my parents always talking to me about race. So it wasn't a new conversation. I just talked to them honestly and age appropriately and historically. And so honestly, I don't call things what they're not. I I use terms like racism and white supremacy. And I think they have, especially if you talk to my 20-year-old, almost 20-year-old, he has a very sophisticated and nuanced understanding of race. And if you talk to my 12-year-old, he'll be 13 soon. I um he's aware of racism and he's really into what's amazing about my children is they're into learning about their own black history and, and their place in America. And so, you know, tonight when we were having a meeting with our church's youth group and he was proposing movies, he proposed a movie about black people. (laughs) And, and, you know, he didn't say like, let's watch Marvel and DC. I mean, those things came up, but he also said, let's watch Miss Virginia. And he's already seen it, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But like when, when you hear him talk, he wants to see movies in his own image. And I realized that they were always wanting to do, um, or movies about Black people, they have been wanting to see things like that ever since. I showed him the New Edition movie. It came out a couple of years ago. And the boys probably watched it over and over and over. They were so excited. And I realized they don't have a lot of good media that mm-hmm. pictures Black boys at, in their age group. But other things I do to kind of always talk with them about race or to keep this conversation present is, is you know, besides watching movies, is to talk about our own own family's history. Mm-hmm. So I'm a hobby, a genealogy hobbyist. Yeah. Um, so we're constantly talking about, you know, what's going on, showing pictures. I interview my family members and share that with them. And my second oldest son is probably going to be the family historian because he's really, <laughs> he's really into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's great. And so as you've gotten married and you've added, you know, the, the younger three boys to the family, is motherhood what you thought it would be? <laughs> That's a great question. 
No, motherhood is not what I thought. I had this whole fantasy of motherhood. <laughs> and I am probably uh, learning to let go of that fantasy every day in little pieces. Because I think what I grew up thinking about motherhood or what the kind of woman I should be as a mother is not who I really have time to be or opportunity or resources to be. And so I'm learning to grow an acceptance of the mother I can be. We are, I think, discovering ourselves as mothers like every day, every week, every mm-hmm. month, every year, every season with our children mm-hmm. and with, you know, giving ourselves grace along that way and finding connection with other moms to encourage us in that, that journey is That's, super yeah. important. That's really important. I mean, it's, you said it's super important, but I cannot emphasize how important it's been for me. The grace, I'm pretty hard on myself as a person. And so just having other moms to talk with about everything that's going on in my life regarding motherhood or just marriage or, you know, just being a woman in this society is precious. I have um, a group of three other women I went to grad school with at Davis, and we have a chat that has been going on for, I don't know, years. We were all in Davis at the same time. We're all mothers at the same time, and our kids are roughly around the same ages. And you know, some lived on campus, some lived off campus. We're not even from the same department, but we were just all in the PhD program together. And we talk about our children or what's going on and encourage each other regularly. Every single day, someone is saying something. And I don't, I don't think I could be the kind of mother I am without that support network. Yeah. And it sounds like you've kind of gathered it along the way because some moms Mm -hmm. have a hard time, you know, gathering that mother support or forming their mom tribe. Right. It sounds like it happened pretty organically for you. It, you know, in the beginning, it, so yeah, now, but it wasn't always like that. In the beginning, I, you know, you mentioned that you, I was the first of our friendship group to really have a kid. So in the beginning, it was just me. And I just had all these friends without kids. <laughs> and then the people who I knew who had kids were like way older than me. They were grandparents and they had different ideas of what it meant to be a mother. And so when I moved to this area, to the Sacramento Valley. And I met my husband pretty quickly after I moved here. I had a four-year-old, started a new job, bought a house, met this guy, and we ended up dating and getting married. And then we had our first baby within that first year, even then too. I joined a mom's group and that's when I found my support. You know, right away, I knew from my experience with my first that it's pretty lonely out there when you're not with other people going through the same thing. So that mom's group, was like an instant network, an instant group of friends. And I actually keep up with several of the moms from that time. And my son's almost 13. I, I joined an online moms group, which was oh. an expecting club. Oh. And I, after the baby was born, I joined the group associated with my hospital. So I was like in all the groups. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me. I just crave that new mom energy and mm-hmm. support. So mm-hmm. I was the same. I was a part of at least two or three groups, mm-hmm. you know, from as early as I could get me and my baby off the house. <laughs> yeah. And I, it was important, especially for that second baby, my Zachary, because with him, I was on mater- I was on bed rest. So like in that third trimester, I was on bed rest and I was in the house all by myself. My husband was working, my kid was at school. And so I needed to find community. And I actually found it on iVillage. I don't even know if they still have that group or anything, if they have the setup or if it's, mm-hmm. but we had, uh, mm-hmm. so 
we had a, they called it, they called them expecting clubs. So based on your baby's due date, you would join an expecting club for that month. So I joined the September expecting club for Zachary. And those women, we keep up. We have kept up for 13 years in the September. Yeah. So that was like my community. We were all like home. For some reason, I guess everybody was at home or if they worked, they were kind of getting on when they could. Mm -hmm. And we chatted all the time. That's wonderful. And that's a good, you know, tip as far as, you know, some of the online groups back Mm -hmm. when I was doing it, I really wanted to go in person and Mm -hmm. have that, that face-to-face time. But Mm -hmm. now with technology, the options for online and Zoom and, you know, with COVID-19, we can't necessarily go out, especially with young babies. We can still reach out online and find a a similar, if not, you know, the same level of support from other moms going through the same thing. So yeah, what advice would you give to a new mom, especially, you know, maybe one who was in your situation as far as, uh, you know, maybe a new single mom? Yeah. I mean, I think a network, this actually, Sylvia Winter, do you remember Dr. Sylvia Winter at Stanford? Sounds familiar. Yeah. She's a professor in African and African-American studies. And I remember meeting her because I wanted to go to the PhD program because remember I had a plan. I was not having my baby until I was 33 after I finished my PhD program. But uh, so when I ended up pregnant, I was still applying to PhD programs because I was hard-headed. And, <laughs> determined. <laughs> and I, right, I was determined. I, and I applied to Stanford. And as I was p- applying to the history department at Stanford, I met up with Sylvia Winter and spoke with her. And she said, you know, you need to get yourself a network. It was the most beautiful thing. And she said, get yourself a network of support. And so I did that. I had a network. And even if they weren't other moms, I had other people Mm -hmm. like you. My son ended up having a godmother who lived in the same building as Mm -hmm. us. I had all these friends in the Bay Area, members of the church I ended up going to, who just kind of supported me, my people on my job. And then I think, so one would be to get a network. Keep up with your friends because a lot of, it can be so overwhelming. You can easily just get isolated to you and your baby. Um, to the extent that's possible, right? Like, so maybe you're just really tired and you just want to sleep. But I found it helpful for me to rest, but also spend time with other people. And then this, I have two more. And these are kind of not necessarily baby related, but I think the first one is. The first baby related thing I would say to every woman is to trust yourself. Whether it's you're laboring, whether you're talking to a doctor about your health care whether you're trying to figure out what's best for your child, trust you. Every person has an inner voice. Every mother has an inner mother voice that if they would listen to, would direct them along the appropriate path for their family. So what I might do with my family may not be what you would do with yours, but I don't need to live for you. And you don't need to live for me. So trust yourself. And then I would also say save money, save money for college. And it doesn't have to be lots of money. When I was 20... I was my about 21. My aunt, who had only graduated from high school, said to me, you know, when you get your first job, and I was just graduating college and just starting your job, she said, you need to start putting money away. Even if you can only put away $25 a month, if your, your employer will match it, and then you'll have $50, and that money will accumulate. It has been the best advice. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, one, so that I have money to retire, two, um, putting money, a little bit of money away for college for Kyle. Um, we 
we weren't able to do tons, you know, because we ended up having four kids and I was, there were many times when I wasn't working because I was staying home with the kids and in grad school, but just any little bit helps. That's great. And we can sometimes lose track of the, the, the financial aspect of, mm-hmm. you know, being a mom and, or take it for granted, you know, we were so in the moment paying for the diapers, paying for the formula if we need to, and just right. that being in the moment, that, that's a really great reminder to just, even if we can only, you know, put a little bit away, you know, do it mm-hmm. from the get-go because, you know, we have time on your side, you know, in that mm-hmm. case. Yeah. That was part one of a two-part interview with education professor Mari Gray. Make sure to tune in next time for part two, where we delve in deeper into the role that police currently play on public school campuses and discipline practices that unfairly impact Black and Brown children. Learn about what every parent can do to advocate for all children to be safe as they learn on public school campuses. You won't want to miss it. for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.